Scriptures read from the Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter, verses 14 through 29. As you are turning to Mark 9, verse 14, the context is important and it is helpful. In the first eight verses of chapter 9, we have a preview of glory as our Lord is transfigured before three of the disciples. And then they ask about what things are to come. And Jesus announces the pinnacle of glory in his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. That is the background of where we pick up on our reading on verse 14. Jesus coming down from the mountain, having instructed the disciples concerning rising from the dead. And now the situation arises in these words. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them, and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all people were greatly amazed, and running to him greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son, who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And when they brought him, then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From a child, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. <coughs> then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. 
and he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Word of God. Our focus is on the final words of Jesus, his private, brief, and moving occasion that follows a crisis in which the disciples failed and their Lord triumphed. The narrative not only reveals the crisis for the disciples, but also the crisis in the church. The crisis in the church. The emphasis of this crisis is the supreme power of God and the fervent prayer of God's people. Let me tell you what happened a certain let me tell you that what was certainly the greatest night that Laura and I have ever been in a church service. With these words, Reverend Ted Donnelly, former pastor of Trinity Reformed Presbyterian Church, Newtown Abbey, Northern Ireland, and professor of New Testament languages and literature at Reformed Theological College in Belfast, began to recount an extraordinary evening on Wednesday, July 2nd, 1997. He was preaching at the Southeastern Reformed Baptist Family Conference held on the 125-acre hilltop campus of Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee. The college is located within the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, about 40 miles north of Chattanooga, Reverend Donnelly, in his first two messages, had preached on the doctrine of hell, why consider it, and what does the Bible teach? He describes the extraordinary third night of the conference in this way. On the third night of the conference, there were about 800 people there. I was preaching on the subject, what will hell be like? As I preached, we all became aware of a presence, very hard to explain. Everybody got phenomenally quiet. Nobody moved. I preached for quite a long time, probably an hour and a quarter on what will hell be like. Then I finished the sermon and sat down. Of the 800 people, nobody moved. Nobody spoke. It was silent, total silence. After a few minutes, the chairman stood up and said, I think we should cancel the rest of the evening's program, and I think we should all go and seek God. 
we spent then, I don't know how many hours, with experiences that we had never had before or since to the same degree. We went into one room on the university campus and it was full of parents, perhaps 40 or 50, weeping and pleading for the salvation of their children. <clears throat> we went out, after a long time of praying with them, to the beautiful campus of Bryan College. It was dark. Almost the whole campus was covered with people on the grass. Some of them were on their knees. Some were in groups. Some were crying out to God. There was another prayer meeting of young people in the administration building, which was nearly all night. There were fellows and girls wringing their brothers and sisters in California and Canada and saying to them, you have to believe in Christ. You have to be converted. <laughs> it's hard to say how many people were converted that night. We can certainly say that at least 50 or 60 people that night, maybe far, far more. We still hear of people who were converted that night. What happened? God, the Holy Spirit, came down. He blessed his word. I preached the next night just as good a sermon. Nothing happened as far as we know. I could hardly wait to get back to Trinity to preach this sermon. I preached it in Trinity. Nothing happened as far as we know. It wasn't me. It wasn't the sermon. It was God. God chose to work. I'm telling you that not to make myself out as a great preacher. It had nothing to do with that nonsense, but to give you a glimpse of the power of God. Ted Donnelly. Has there ever been a time when the church was more inflated with its opinion of its ability? The church has adopted the how-to methodologies of a hundred different writers. The church has adapted programs of the church growth movement. The church is self-confident that it can solve the problems of evangelism. <laughs> However, we have no power to stop the onslaught of abortions, the abomination of homosexuality, the feminization of the church, the home, and our society. We have no power to open deaf ears to hear the gospel or dumb lips to preach the gospel. We have no power to deliver our neighbor's children from the dominion of the state indoctrination that has banished the reality and relevance of the triune God. We have no power to expel the demons of self-reliance, self-gratification, and self-exaltation. We have no power to mend, to mend the feuds that have split congregations and have divided families. We need to understand the crisis in the church as revealed in this passage. We need to understand the private words of Jesus. This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. We may outline this passage with three headings. The severity of the situation, verses 14 through 19. The supremacy of the Savior, verses 20 through 27. 
and the solution for the saints, verses 28 and 29. The opening verses, 14 through 19, the severity of the situation. Verse 14, the disciples have been without the physical presence of Jesus. Nine of the disciples have not seen the transformation of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are without his physical presence, and the situation is very severe. Then broaden our perspective, this was first directed toward the saints in Rome. Mark is writing to the Christians in Rome. They too are without the physical presence of Christ, for he has ascended into heaven. And so the crises that they face would be understood from this situation. Further, the disciples are surrounded by religious mockers. The nine disciples are heckled and taunted by leering, self-satisfied scribes. The disciples have attempted an exorcism, casting out a demon, and they have failed. The scribes are deriding them for their powerlessness. They are blaspheming Jesus as well. The messenger is as the man himself. You are phonies, and so is your master, shout, they shout. The disciples are also confronted by a strong enemy that presents four problems. There's the problem of the demons. The boy is possessed by a demon that foils nine disciples. There's a problem of death. The demon works to destroy the boy. The sporadic attacks of this helpless youth, youth and the long-term affliction may indicate the purpose of demonic possession to destroy, distort the image of God and man. This destruction heaped upon a child indicates how radical the issue is between demonic power and Jesus as the bestower of life. Problem of death, problem of demons, is a problem of defeat. The disciples are unable to cast out this demon. The witness of the gospel is being harmed. The father even questions Jesus's power. Problems of demon, death, defeat, and there's a problem of direction. What is Jesus teaching as to the direction of power? To the Father, he says, believe, verse 23. To the disciples, he says, pray and fast, verse 29. To the demon, he says, verse 25, come out, without waiting either for great faith or for fervent prayer. Jesus casts out the demon. And then the disciples in verse 19 are rebuked by an exasperated master. Jesus' initial response is both a diagnosis and an emotional outcry from the heart. His first word, all, is a rarely used word to address others directly and expresses deep emotion. Jesus' deep emotion. All faithless generation. You disciples are just like the rest of this generation. How long shall I endure you? Will you ever learn? 
Jesus is in lonely pain and exasperation. The disciples had failed. He had earlier commanded them, Mark 3, verses 14 and 15, to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. They were successful earlier, but now, after a week of his absence, they're powerless. Their failure is not because they didn't try. They did their best. Their problem is unbelief. They believe in the process or in the program. They believe in themselves because they had done it previously, but they are not resting their faith on Jesus. Their confidence is in their own power, their words, their methods that they've used, rather than in the God who gave them power to work miracles. They are overtly self-confident rather than consciously God-confident. These are fitting words for the church today, which is so well-equipped with programs, so rich with funds, so instructed with doctrine, and yet so powerless before the forces of evil. The severity of the situation. The second movement in this passage is the supremacy of the Savior, verses 20 through 27. The participants in this crowd challenge Jesus' sovereignty. The scribes wait in silent skepticism. The demon openly rebels against the Lord. The demon seizes the boy, verse 18. Luke records that the child screams. The demon throws him to the ground where he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes stiff as a board. Many times the demon has thrown him into fire and water so that he is covered with burn scars. Even worse, the demon has made the boy deaf and dumb. He lives an aquarium-like existence. He can see what is going on around his pathetic body, but he cannot hear or speak. The scribes wait in silence. The demon openly rebels. The father questions Jesus' ability. He hopes that Jesus has a little more power or is a little more wise. The father questions the power of Jesus to bestow a healing. Earlier, a leper, while questioning Jesus' willingness to heal, does not doubt his power as he is cleansed of his disease. Here the Lord is questioning his power. And so the Lord rebukes the Father, verses 23 and 24. The error is in the Father's unbelief. The ability is in the Lord's sovereignty. When Jesus says to the Father, if you believe all things are possible, he is not saying, work at having faith. It's a great error to imagine that faith is something that we do or something that we work up in ourselves. This conceives of faith 
as a work that gets God's favorable attention. This thinks of faith as a muscle, which, if it's exercised, gets bigger and stronger. This makes faith some quantity within ourselves that we can pile up. Jesus is talking about a faith that looks to him and trusts in him. Faith is always defined by its object. Faith is never a thing in itself. Faith looks to something else. True faith is trusting in or relying on Jesus. And now the Father gets it. The Father understands correctly. He responds, I believe, help my unbelief. Subdue those areas where I do not trust you. So in verse 25, Jesus expels the demon. The words of Jesus is absolute power, both a positive and a negative command. Come out and do not ever enter again. The word of Jesus is absolute power. The will of Jesus is absolute power. Immediately there is release. The demon cries in hatred, but in subjugation. <clears throat> the release is complete so that the boy lies as one dead. The word of Jesus is absolute. The will of Jesus is absolute. And so Jesus restores the boy. The Savior frees the boy. The Savior raises the boy to life. The supremacy of the Savior. So we've had the severity of the situation, the supremacy of the Savior. Now what is the solution? What happened? What are the saints supposed to learn? The solution for the saints, verses 28 and 29. The disciples request the reason, verse 28. The honest effort of God's servants sometimes end in failure. This is a public failure for Jesus' disciples. They are defeated. Dejected, downcast, and discouraged. <coughs> they have no answer for their enemies. They profess to represent Jesus, but they have no power to exercise the demon. This event is a picture of the present state of the world. In the boy, we can see a picture of the dominion of Satan and the power that deceives people. In the disciples, we see a picture of the church as she appears to be failing in her mission of breaking the power of Satan upon sinners. The church is most active, yet is failing. The spiritual power that she knew in previous decades is not present. New Testament history and church history record the triumph of the advance of the church over the powers of hell. But that is not our experience. We are not successful as in the days following Pentecost, or in the days of the Reformation, or in the days of the revivals. Verse 29, Jesus explains the solution. When Jesus says to the disciples, this kind come out by nothing but prayer and fasting, he is not 
saying, it's not enough to believe, you must also pray and fast. It's a terrible error to imagine that prayer is a work that we do. Prayer is a manifestation of faith. This kind, this kind, there must be a real understanding of the problem facing the church. The disciples had cast out demons on other occasions. They'd assumed that this was the same as before. And so the church is busy with activities, but uninterested in doctrine. The church sees the world's attractions to entertainment and so revises the service to be entertaining. The church adjusts its program to match the desires of people and not the revealed will of the Lord. The church fails to understand the nature of the problem. This kind. There needs to be a comparison to earlier generations. The great difference between today and 100 years ago is that the people then <coughs> were in a state of apathy. There was no general denial of the Christian faith. People simply didn't bother to practice it. There was a general acceptance that the Bible was the word of God. All that was required was to rouse them, to disturb them out of their lethargy. The apathy we face today is not in the world, but in the church. The problem confronting the church today is deeper and more desperate than was faced by the enemies for centuries. What we have today is a denial of absolute truth, a denial of the relevance of God. The very belief in God has virtually disappeared. Keeping within our group of Christian friends, we are insulated from the apostasy and abomination around us. God and religion are tolerated for the less enlightened in culture. Our society denies that scripture is the inspired word of God. If God has any place in our culture, he is an annoyance. This kind can come out. What they did before worked, but it doesn't work with this kind of satanic opposition. The power of disciples had for previous causes is not sufficient for this cause. What worked in previous generations to break the power of Satan is not working today. That is obvious in so many things in which we trust are proving to be of no avail. We are not seeing souls saved regularly. The trend is to use psychological pressure to put guilt upon people and to saturate them with the message of love. Those who get people to walk down the aisle think that they are successful. This kind cannot come out but by prayer and fasting. Unbelief results in spiritual weakness. Lack of faith is a result of a lack of prayer. Prayer is an expression of believing. Prayer recognizes that Jesus has all power. Fasting 
does not make prayer more effective, but more intense. The purpose of fasting is to set aside something good that God has given us in order to seek God's wisdom, guidance, power, deliverance, or glory. The church will continue to fail until she feels her utter need for the power of God's spirit. We must realize that we are desperate. The church must turn from her methods to seek the Lord, the solution for the saints. After describing the remarkable work of God in the family conference at Bryan College in 1997, Dr. Donnelly concludes, God can do more in a minute than we could accomplish with all of our efforts in a lifetime. We've got to plead with God in a new way for the outpouring of his spirit. God could blow our minds in our churches with what he could do. He could do more than we could ever in our wildest imaginations. He could bring tens of thousands of people into the kingdom. He could transform our churches. He has the power to do it just with his finger. It is nothing with God. Ever Donnelly continues, we have to be careful for it's so easy for us to get fascinated with our strategies and our plans and our goals and our committees. There is a place for that. It's easy for us to say that we rely upon God, but sometimes we make our plans and then ask God to bless them after we have made them. The church is not a business enterprise. It is an exhilarating mystery. People have said to me over the years, what strategy have you had for Trinity? You have known some blessings. I've said, we didn't have any strategy, and I don't believe people who have strategies. Donnelly continues, we have to have the courage and the faith to throw away the safety net and to plead as we never have pleaded before for God's spirit and to proclaim Christ. That's all. Proclaim Christ and trust the Holy Spirit to bless. So what happens will be so unpredictable and so unexpected that it will be clear to all that God has done this. I'm not minimizing planning. We have outreach committees and planning boards. What I want to see happening in the RP Church in the next five years is something that nobody has even thought of. And they will say, God has done this. Reverend Dudley. Do you see the depths of the problem facing us today? Will you pray earnestly for God's power to fall upon his people? This kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Nothing apart from the power of God will avail. There is no hope until the members of the church are praying, praying with each other, praying anywhere and everywhere. We desperately need the power of God. That is the crisis in the church.
Lord our God, we are before the scriptures, and as we have thought upon this dramatic scene, with all the hostility of the scribes and the discouragement of the disciples, we have seen something of the glory of the Lord as he does what no one else can do. And he does it in a way that defeats Satan, that pushes back his dominion, and that frees a young boy from all of the trauma and the turmoil that had overwhelmed him. What an exceptional circumstance. What an exceptional Savior. We thank you for this indication that you are able to do mighty things. We believe, but with the Father we would also confess, help us in our, un in our unbelief. Cause us to trust in you so that we approach you in prayer and in petition, acknowledging that you are sovereign and that it will be by your power that the gospel goes forward to deliver people from the bondage of Satan and sin and bring them into the kingdom of light and love. We ask for your encouragement. We ask for understanding. We ask for the power of God in our midst. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.